the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. On AM 1420, The Answer. It is indeed, and hour number two is now underway at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Wednesday, the 15th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Appreciate you being with us. Great conversation in hour number one with uh, John Kersey. Got another great conversation coming up at 1035 with director and writer Ted Robinson. But now I've got a great conversation coming up with Lloyd Marcus. Lloyd Marcus, let's bring him onto the program uh, as I introduce him. And uh, first, let's announce that he's black. And Lloyd, I will call you black because you do not want to be called uh, African-American. You are the unhyphenated American. Good morning. How are you, sir? Amen, my patriot brother. Now, look, I have to tell you who you are. Okay. You are one of those white, privileged guys uh, who have gotten everything in life on a silver platter, and everything that you own belongs to me because you stole it from me. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. That, that's the narrative, isn't it, Lloyd? That is exactly what the narrative is uh, being sold by the liberal Democrats in this country today as they continue to foster and foment racial division in this country. Uh, Lloyd Marcus is uh, a, a wonderful speaker and presenter and blogger and a columnist. Uh, I'm looking at your bio. I've had you on before, and I don't know if you recall, and right. you do a lot of interviews. Uh, but uh, you call yourself the unhyphenated American. You are a leader in the Tea Party movement. You're a speaker and entertainer. And I loved it. What's really, I woke up this morning, Lloyd, to even more uh, uh, greatness, if you will. I loved your article that I read from earlier this month, or actually, I think it was at the end of December, about white privilege. And we'll hit that. And I know that's why you started our conversation that way. But I just woke up this morning to find your piece in The American Thinker uh, A Glorious Weekend with Fellow Deplorables in California. You're a very active guy. Uh, yes, I wrote this, uh, song called, uh, Trump Train, uh, 2020. Right. And so we, uh, flew from West Virginia 
to Waco, uh, California, uh, to uh, record the uh, 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 to record the uh, music uh, video for the uh, song to uh, film the music video for the song, and I was shocked that there were uh, so many local California people hiding in the bushes who loved Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, uh, the filming staff loved Donald Trump. So, like, it was like a family reunion there. When will that video become available? Uh, the 1st of uh, February. And Bob, it is so good. Uh, my director, his name is uh, Robert Kurt, and he's a conservative filmmaker, and he's specializes on comedies because the left basically uh, corners the market in terms of uh, entertainment most of the time. Uh, and Robert Kirk, uh, he makes these conservative comedies which basically exposes all of the absurdity of the left. Uh, he has this one thing coming out called uh, Nightmare in Paradise about a transgender guy coming for a job uh, interview. It is hilarious. He's awesome. Well, um, uh, Lloyd Marcus is our guest. Lloyd, you are also an author. You wrote Confessions of a Black Conservative, How the Left Has Shattered the Dreams of Martin Luther King. I want to talk about the biggest fear in the world for liberal Democrats, and that is black conservatives. Um, you, you describe yourself in your bio on your website, which I'll point people to at LloydMarcus.com, as a lone wolf, uh, rare black voice spreading the truth about the greatness of America, countering the leftist-dominated media's hatred for our country. How do you feel, Lloyd, knowing you are no longer a lone wolf as a black voice, that the Blexit movement by Candace Owens and others, the walkaway campaign, is, 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 is leading to more and more black Americans walking away from that Democrat lie and from the Democratic plantation that they have kept uh, black Americans chained to for so very long? I absolutely love it. And guess uh, who else? Uh, someone that you forgot to mention, Kanye West. Who would have thunk it? You know, I mean, uh, uh, Kanye West, uh, he, uh, he has uh, several mil, uh, million followers in social media. And I saw a recent poll that 35% of uh, black folks like Donald Trump. Now that is amazing, and that's yeah, going that to be thirty-four, thirty-five percent. Yeah, that is an yeah, unbelievable right. yeah, number. Yeah. Giving getting that kind of approval rating from Black America, and and it's and it's because it's not about words, it's not about language, it's about. It's about results. He is doing more to help the black American experience than than any president in recent memory, and especially more than the last president who happened to be black. I know. Well, like as a matter of fact, uh, uh, black on uh, black unemployment is uh, uh, basically at its lowest in history. That's right. And blacks and blacks uh, do not realize that they suffered uh, under Obama. Now uh, there uh, there uh, there are still a bunch of uh, black folks who still refuse to leave the uh, liberal plantation. As a, as a matter of fact, a lot of uh, 
uh, black people. Uh, I'm originally from Baltimore, and a lot of the uh, blacks in Baltimore just beat me to a death for telling the truth about Elijah uh, Cummings, uh, who recently died. Uh, he got a billion dollars to fix his district in Baltimore. And when I went to Baltimore for my father's funeral, there were blocks and blocks and blocks of nasty, dirty, uh, empty buildings with uh, with uh, rats. And there were neighborhoods that you dare not go into uh, after dark. Uh, uh, after dark, and this was Elijah Cummings' district. And I simply say that. Oh, oh, and I have to say this: ninety percent. Of the kids that graduate from the Baltimore high schools cannot even read their diploma. I happened to mention that uh, these black people, they jumped on me big time. Uh, so some of them are just uh, stuck on stupid. But there's a lot of uh, young black people who finally get it, and they are no longer falling for all of the uh, uh, Democrat lies. We are talking to Lloyd Marcus, the unhyphenated American. He's a speaker, he's a writer, he's an author. And um, I want to just briefly touch on that December 29th piece that you wrote for RenewAmerica.com about what white privilege means in small-town West Virginia. I get very frustrated when I see on social media and when I see on CNN and other places the demonization of the white American male as if everything, as you jokingly said at the beginning of our conversation, as if everything is easy because you happen to be white in America. And guess what? There are more poor white people in America. There are more uh, people with less opportunity in this country who are white than there are who are black, simply by population and because of what you found in places like small town West Virginia. Can you tell me about that and tell me about a person named Pop Kern? Uh, yes. Uh, Mary and I moved from uh, Florida to West Virginia uh, two years ago to be uh, near our uh, elderly parents. And there's like 500 people in, in our town. And just from being here, uh, uh, this town is basically Trump country, USA. So we have a dollar general. I'm going to the uh, dollar uh, general, uh, and I saw this very old man in the parking lot. He, he, uh, he was taking his shopping cart back. I said, sir, I'll take that that cart back for you. And he said, thank you, uh, young man. Uh, he says, my name is Pop Kearns. I am 89 years old. <laughs> well, uh, 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 and Pop and Kearns said, I have lived here my, uh, my entire life. Uh, uh, and he said, and he said, when I was nine years old, I milked nine cows before I went to school, and nine cows when I uh, uh, came home after school, and I got five dollars a week. Uh, he was the nicest old man, and the first thing that popped in my head is like, wow, I guess uh, this guy never got the memo about his racist, unfair, white privilege uh, 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 that the Democrats are saying that he has. And every single Democrat candidate says that they want to punish 
pot current, uh, and they want to tax the uh, heck out of him. Uh, and they say that people like pot currents are, are basically responsible for everything wrong in the world. And they are also saying that pot currents should not have an opinion, that white guys should not have an opinion about anything. Uh, the uh, uh, University of Melbourne actually said that they want to ban white guys from speaking in the classrooms because they want the women and and uh, transgenders to feel comfortable to speak. That's insane. Uh, uh, and this is not a one-off thing around this country. All you have to do is go on the, uh, uh, go on YouTube. Everywhere that you turn, uh, they are saying that white men should not have uh, should not have a say in anything. Uh, even as far as the pop uh, culture goes, all of these are uh, uh, superhero movies. Uh, they saying that uh, none of none of the critics of those movies should be white men. Uh, this is a crazy time, and this is pushed by the uh, Democrat Party. It really is a crazy time. And the story you told about the old gentleman, the 89-year-old white man in West Virginia there where you are, uh, is, is really, really uh, important for people to hear because there are, there are literally millions of, of you know, white Americans, just like there are millions of black Americans who grew up poor, who grew up in impoverished situations, and, and had to work for every little thing they got. And no one had more yeah. of a privilege than the other one did. But yet that's not the message that the left wants to send. They want to continue to no. divide America. They want you to hate white people. They want white people to hate you, and then they want to take advantage of that by saying that it's uh, you know that it's a conservative Republicans' fault. Um, it's a it's a shame. I'm proud that you are an un- unhyphenated American. I'm glad you continue to tell the story through music, through your articles, through your books. Keep up the great work, and thanks for coming on this morning. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, sir. God bless, uh, Lloyd Marcus. Uh, you know, I've, I I have a great amount of respect for this guy. You know, you can tell it's not easy for him. He's got a stutter, which is why it's so amazing that he is a singer and he does uh, uh, performs in so many other ways. But he's got a bit of a stutter, and he is a much, much uh, deeper thinker than so many on the American left that want to continue to divide us. He sees through it all and tries to unite us. He does not demonize the white man for white privilege. He recognizes we all have our challenges. Great stuff from Lloyd Marcus. Quick time out back after this. Ten twenty-six. Nancy Pelosi has uh, put together her hatchet squad. Just announced the seven House managers. They are called the impeachment managers, which means these are the prosecutors who will try to uh, chop Donald Trump down in the United States Senate trial after the impeachment. Uh, naturally, you knew who some of them would be. Adam Schiff, pencil neck himself, will be on this team of hatchet men. Jerry Nadler, Judiciary Committee Chairman, is on the team. Also uh, named for the Democratic uh, impeachment managing team, Hakeem Jeffries from New York, Jason Crow from Colorado, Val Demings from Florida, Sylvia Garcia from Texas, and Zoe Lofgren from California. So there are the managers 
of the impeachment trial of the president. Uh, they will manage to uh, get him acquitted is all they will manage because there is absolutely no crime and they can't even name one in the United States criminal code to prove that. Uh, this will not take very long. The only question is, is whether or not there will be witnesses and if so, whether or not there will be uh, witness reciprocity. If they call one, the Republicans get to call one. And back and forth, we shall go. Uh, Todd is calling us from Ward 1 in Cleveland. Hey, Todd, how are you, my man? Bob, I'm, I'm greatly disappointed in you, man. I Why? truly am. This is, a health, this is a healthy broadcast, and most of the time, your thoughts and your, and your facts are healthy, conveyed thoughts and facts. Well, let's get real. Let's get real, man, okay? Let's start with this. First of all, you guess that 90% of Baltimore um, black public school graduates can't read their diploma. That's absurd. That's absurd. You would have to I did not. I, I, I didn't think he said 90. I think he said 90%. He said 90. Of the, no, no. I thought he said 90% of the uh, area of Baltimore that Elijah Cummings got all that money to fix uh, was, was rat infested. This is a recorded broadcast. Play it back. Trust me I will. on this one. I will. I'm not, then, I'm not saying then, he didn't say it. I'm saying that's not how I heard it. If I heard it then, wrong, then I will acknowledge that. Go ahead. Then he goes on to talk about the um, rat infested buildings in Cummings District, which may or may not be true. But we both grew up in Metro Cleveland, and we both know what had to, what had to happen to go to um, get the flats in downtown Cleveland converted to the way that it is, and they still got a long way to go. And a big chunk of that is because private property ownership in this country is extremely strong, and it takes a lot to get even the me- the most messed up to get get them out of the way if they own it. And that's the truth. I don't care what you, what kind of power your politician got. And then there's this other thing, which you said, this came out of your mouth, talking about how much Trump has done for my people. Yes. Hey, man, Trump's nominated 200-plus federal judges, and he didn't nominate one, one African-American, and he is not the main or even a strong contributor to the advancement of the well-being of our folks, my folks, economically in this country, by far. It's not even close. What are right, well, what as, as long, you as long as, as long as you're, as long as you're so, so big on the accuracy of all these statements, number one, that is not accurate. That is absolutely not accurate. If you Who's can the federal me, judge he nominated this well, black? No, what I'm going to tell you is, what I'm going to tell you is the other way around. You send me a list of every federal judge he's nominated, and you send me their race. And if you can prove to me that not one of them is African American, because I read this, this, this ridiculous meme charge, uh, on social media a few days ago, <clears throat> Todd. And it said not only are there no blacks, that there are no gays, there are no, uh, I think it was, it may be, it was either no women or no women of color. I well, can't remember which. We don't, but, but we don't this really accu- know. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. This, this, this accusation that all of the federal judges are white or, or men or whatever. And then somebody, and I can't remember, produced a very uh, quick partial list of blacks, women, Hispanics, et cetera, et cetera, that were on this list. So, so if you can prove to me the opposite, I will commend you for it and I will uh, acknowledge as much, but as far as him not being responsible uh, for for the economic growth and the jobless uh, rate falling to a historic low, that Trump's conditions, the conditions, economic conditions he has set, Todd, didn't contribute to that. Man, uh, explain to me why it has never, ever, 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 ever happened before. Then. Donald Trump has has lessened and lowered the regulations on so many businesses that allow them to hire so many more people, including African-Americans. 
and especially African Americans, because they, along with Hispanic Americans, have benefited far more disproportionately than white Americans to the job boom that we have seen under this president. How can you not accept and acknowledge his role in the growth of black jobs and the growth of black wages, as well as the rest of Americans' wages? Come on, Todd. You're such a smart guy and such a good caller, and you call in and flame with false information like that, my friend. That's 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 beneath you, my friend. That is beneath you. But if you send me that judge list and you show me that there are no African Americans, I will acknowledge as much, but I know that is not the case. 10.30, news time now, coming back on AM 1420 Dance. Ten thirty-six. Onward we roll. Thanks for joining us again this morning, this fifteenth uh, morning of the first month of the year of our Lord twenty twenty. Got twenty-four minutes of outstanding, awesome left. Thanks to Lloyd Marcus. Great conversation last segment. Thanks also to Professor John Kersey who joined us in the first hour, uh, discussing uh, uh, discussing the mass amount of disinformation and propaganda coming into the United States from foreign gov- for- foreign uh, uh, government sources and how much of it is being spread by American media. I want to pivot now to something that I teased uh, a couple of times now. Uh, there are stories uh, about the Vietnam War that have been told, and then there are stories that have not been told. And I was blown away when I heard about this. How was I not? I just talked. One of my previous callers, TJ, is a Vietnam veteran. He calls me all the time to talk about Vietnam and to talk about veterans. He had never heard of this story either, which is why I want to feature this right now. Vietnam War hero William Pitsenbarger is a U.S. Uh, Air Force pararescueman, was um, a medic who saved over 60 men and had to fight and have fought for him, rather, to, to receive the commendations and honors that he deserved for his heroism in combat zones. A story you have never heard. It's a story I had never heard, which is why we need to see it and hear it. It's a new movie. It's called The Last Full Measure. The Last Full Measure. The writer and the director of that movie is Todd Robinson. He joins us now to give us a preview of this story here on AM 1420, The Answer. Todd, thank you for coming on this morning. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for coming on. What an unbelievable story that you are going to share with the American people by way of this film. Uh, tell us, first of all, uh, the origin. Tell us how you became aware of the Pitsenbarger story, and then what made you decide this story has to be written, it has to be made, it has to be told. Well, first I would tell you that William Pitsenbarger is a native son of the great state of Ohio, uh, his hometown is Piqua, and we will be screening the movie there um, prior to the opening, I believe, on the 23rd. And um, I came upon this story because I was doing research on the sort of the general uh, uh, area of pararescue, and I traveled around the country going to all the different schools that's part of their uh, their teaching syllabus, and every place I went, the young airmen wanted to be sure that I knew about William Pitts. And uh, later, at the end of that cycle, I was—I uh, had the opportunity to meet uh, Pitsenbarger's father, Frank Pitsenbarger, and I was just really moved by what he had to say about what it was like to not only lose a child, but uh, to see his son ultimately honored. And it made me reflect on my own life, you know. Uh, I was 
just a little bit too young for Vietnam, but I certainly had a lot of friends in the neighborhood who went, some who uh, returned, some who didn't, and those who did were clearly changed. And so, lo, these many years later, it occurred to me that there was something that I could do to give back and uh, reflect upon what these men sacrificed. Todd Robinson, our guest, he's the writer and the director of The Last Full Measure, a film, and uh, you need to see the trailer. I will tweet it, and I will Facebook it uh, as soon as we are done with this conversation. Everybody who wants to follow at France Radio so that you can see this for yourself. This is this is a big-time movie. Uh, uh, I mean, you talk about Hollywood heavyweights. You, you've got them all over the place. Christopher Plummer, William Hurt, Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Harris, who's one of my favorite uh, actors, and uh, the late Peter Fonda. This is a big-time production. Um, how, how did you go about uh, assembling such an all-star type of cast to, to put this thing together? Well, you know, they were just all moved by the story and I, I and the context that we, that we used this story in the movie. And I think, not unlike myself, uh, these men were all a little bit older than me and they really were of draftable age. And I think uh, this was an opportunity that they had to give back to people that they cared about as well. Uh, and, and of course, the power of the story, the power of service and valor um, is something everybody wants to be a part of. Um, good stories attract good actors. And um, it really wasn't a problem to assemble the cast. It was a problem to schedule the cast, <laughs> but not to get them. Todd, um, one thing I don't like sometimes about Hollywood movie trailers is they tell way too much of the story. And, uh, you know, I've seen the beginning, the middle, and the end, and now I just got to watch all the details in the film, and that's not good. I watched your trailer. I, I think it's fantastic. And, and even though we know the story based on, you know, some of the things that, that, that we can look up, which I did for this interview, um, you don't give it all away, and that's a good thing. Uh, without giving us too much of that detail, tell me more about the efforts of Scott Huffman uh, uh, to, to make this happen, the efforts of, of uh, Pitsenbarger's father, uh, the mission that he was on to get him, uh, and I'm sorry, not his, not his father, his partner, first of all, uh, to get him recognized as well as his parents uh, for the heroism that uh, uh, that he displayed in Vietnam. Can you tell us again without giving too much of it away? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, this was a personal experience for me because when I discovered the story as a filmmaker, you know, we're always desperately looking for good untold stories, and this one just, you know, came down from the angels. They sort of sprinkled it down on me. But in my, I didn't really know how I was going to tell the story because, as you say, the outcome, if you, you know, spoiler alert, look it up on the, the Internet, you can sort of see what happened. But, uh, but my journey of discovery, uh, interviewing all of these veterans who had been fighting for 34 years to be sure that Pitts got the medal, uh, and then my promise to them that I would get this made, um, really transformed me as Scott Huffman has transformed in the movie. It never occurred to me that it was going to take 20 years to get the movie made. Uh, but um, but it, it really, um, I, I think I've grown as a person through uh, the experience. I know my partners have. Uh, and we've just, I've just created these uh, deep friendships with, with these veterans that survived that battle. And it was important to them to rediscover their own purpose by, uh, acknowledging this young man whom they didn't even know who uh, came down and uh, and gave his life on behalf of them and uh, on behalf of France 
Hank Pitsenbarger, too, who at the time was uh, battling cancer. So uh, that's sort of it in a, in a nutshell. It's really a, an aspirational story of of transformation on uh, throughout multiple decades. I absolutely love uh, the premise of the story and the fact that this is real and this is something that actually happened and that this is something that is ongoing, quite frankly, is even bigger and better. Do you Have you found through your research and through your work on this film, Todd, we're talking to Todd Robinson, he's the writer and the director of The Last Full Measure, which is coming out January 24th and premiering in uh, in uh, uh, William Pitsenbarger's hometown of Pequot, as he said uh, prior to that. Have you found that uh, uh, there are other Vietnam stories that have not been told? Um, I, the, the cinemas are filled with with World War II stories of heroism, from you know from the the Normandy landings to the battle, I mean, all the different things that we have seen. But Vietnam being a different kind of war, Vietnam being uh, something that is remembered differently, and of course soldiers returning mm-hmm. home were treated very differently. Uh, are there stories like Pitsenbarger's, and maybe not exactly, but stories that that need to be told coming from uh, uh, the uh, the heroes who fought that those battles. Uh, I think it's an interesting story. Uh, I mean, an interesting question. Um, many of our returning veterans today are facing uh, variations on the same theme of uh, of not really experiencing homecoming. Um, we, as uh, as citizens, as voters, as taxpayers have to uh, embrace our own complicity, complicity in, the, uh, in the policies that, that we vote and pay for with our tax dollars because we send our sons and daughters off to do really difficult things. And I think it's important that when they come home that we just don't thank them for their service, but we make an effort to listen and hold space for them and let them tell us their stories because it's really the only real tonic for healing. And uh, they come back, they've been um, bonded in blood with their brothers and sisters and often find themselves um, feeling isolated when they get back. I think that uh, we go through these cycles, uh, about 20-year cycles, where we look back and reflect. And movies, television, books, uh, any of the arts are really, really sort of perform as parables and metaphors. And but we're, we're really speaking to the people in the present about something that happened in the past, perhaps as a cautionary tale. So to answer your question, there, of course, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of, of untold stories that could be brought to the screen, um, but they are difficult to get made. Um, war stories um, are, are a little bit tricky. They're expensive. And we, we don't want to keep really retelling the same story. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, I, I just hope that this film really begins a, a conversation about homecoming and what we can do for our veteran community. That is a great, great answer to the question because it, there are so many stories, and again, they all can't be told in movies, and maybe all of them, uh, you know, aren't worthy of that, but there are so many who just came home after doing their duties, whether it's heroically as Pitsenbarger or others, but who don't have that sense of appreciation and that sense of, uh, you know, of, of uh, American pride, I guess, in what they did compared to some of those who served in other wars that are considered to have been more. Uh, more just, if you will. Last thing on Pitsenbarger and on this story, uh, and, and you, you've talked about it a little bit already, this wasn't the story of a hero who saved his platoon mates, guys that he, that, he, that he lived with and served with and fought with and so on and so forth and knew intimately. Does it, does it add to the story? Because it does to me. 
that Pitsenbarger was a medic who, who didn't know these guys. He saved over 60 men that are total strangers. You know, he didn't have that, that sense of, I've got to go back and get Charlie, my friend, my, you know, I got to go back and get these guys that I've, I've essentially put my life in their hands and them in mine. You know, he, he was a different type of soldier in that he was a medic. So he was rescuing people he did not know and he just kept going back and getting more. Does that, how much more does that add to this, uh, to this heroic tale? Well, it's it's really an important element of it. You know, um, one of the, one of my veteran friends says uh, often that if anybody on the ground in that battle, which was one of the bloodiest battles of the war, um, mm-hmm. could have left, they would have. But the one guy who could leave chose not to. Pittsburgh came down into a triple canopy jungle in a full-blown firefight. It was about 134 Americans versus over 700 Viet, hardened Viet Cong. He came down into the middle of that, had multiple opportunities to leave, and refused to go. He waved off his own helicopter so that they wouldn't get shot down. And uh, it, it's really these acts of, of valor are, um, are really significant because, and in his case, really powerful because he didn't know these men, and yet he connected with something you know, Carl Jung would call it the, the, the collective unconscious. In, in these moments of high stress, some people recognize that we are all connected by whatever you want to call it, the silver thread, God, whatever it is, uh, that, that, how you clarify that for yourself. But he felt that connection, and they felt that connection with him. And they, they spent the rest of their lives meditating on that act. And the, what's beautiful about the film is that over 50 years later from that act, it's now going to ripple out in those concentric circles in a pond, and his story is still touching people and inspiring them to do the right thing. So that's why it's really such a special story. Well, Todd, I want to thank you for coming on with us to tell us this story, or at least the uh, the beginnings of it, which we will see in full uh, on screen. And I want to thank you for doing it and for putting this together. It's such an important movie. I know this will be very uh, cathartic, I think, for a lot of Vietnam veterans. I talk to them from time to time on this program. Uh, they are looking for you know some sort of respect and some sort of uh, uh, the thank you that maybe many of them never got, as you pointed out. And uh, telling a story like this will certainly be therapeutic, I think, for a lot of them. It's in theaters January 24th. It's called The Last Full Measure. Check out the trailer online at thelastfullmeasurefilm.com or just check my social media account at France Radio, and I'll be sending it out shortly. Todd Robinson, the writer and director, thank you very much for this. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. God bless. Uh, Todd Robinson is out in L.A., so obviously there's a delay in our uh, in our communications there. If you were wondering why there were pauses, so there's a signal delay. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to send this out now. We'll take a time out here, and on the other side, we'll come back in and get more phone calls. But during this break, I will send this trailer out. It's something you should plan to see when it hits theaters on January 24th. Back after this. Well, the break wasn't long enough. It made a liar out of me. I wasn't able to get that thing shared to all my socials. <laughs> but I will send it out as soon as the show ends here in a few minutes. It is uh, 10.53. Got time for another call or two here. But uh, we've been heavy with guests, obviously, all day today. Thanks again to my guests. Uh, in the first hour, Professor John Kersey from Tri-C, Professor of Journalism and Media, talking about disinformation campaigns and propaganda from foreign sources and from within our own media. 
Uh, also spoke with Lloyd Marcus, the unhyphenated American, who is a uh, writer and speaker on uh, issues of race in America. He is trying to get more and more African Americans to walk away from the Democrat Party and into unity in this country uh, with white Americans, stopping the demonization of the quote-unquote white privilege. Really good stuff with him. And then, of course, uh, Todd Robinson, great conversation about his movie, The Last Full Measure. We'll go to Brian now in uh, Rocky River. Thanks for your patience through the interviews there, Brian. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing uh, today? You have such a great show. I'm so glad I tuned in today. And uh, I called on behalf of uh, Frank Jackson. His uh, his grandson doesn't know that he he holds his name, and his uh, granddad is a uh, is a mayor. But because of this uh, interview, uh, I saw uh, <clears throat> the author of of a book, uh, What I Carried, and he was a Vietnam veteran. And he at first he was a deserter to Canada, but his dad got wind of it. And he brought him back to America or USA, and he 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 enlisted, and he ended up in Vietnam. And and Frank, our uh, mayor of the city of Cleveland, should take his grandson to see that movie at the premiere where that is going to be held, and go to Cleveland Public Library and get the book, what I carried, and a Vietnam author. I've not heard of that uh, book. Uh, is it, is it just a book, or is there a movie about it also? No, just a book. He uh, okay. uh, he was down at Cleveland uh, uh, State. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, WVIZ Channel 25 when they opened up downtown Cleveland. Right. I saw him in the audience. Uh, I was in the audience with the author. Okay, it was through Got the it. Cleveland so, Public Library. So, so his son, if I heard, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. So, his son was going to desert to Canada rather than serve uh, in, and be drafted, and his father got wind of it and stopped him or brought him back. Correct. And, uh, made him enlist, and then he went and fought in Vietnam. Correct, and he was one of those uh, guys that wasn't sure what what's going on, so he was an observer as well as a gun carrier. Right, and uh, so at the end, he uh, was glad he served. But, wow. but, but what he came out of the you know the war, the Vietnam War, uh, just just doing his duty and and doing his service is why the book was written. And and what he carried is different things he collected from other other servant, like a lighter or something that. Somebody gave to him just to you know remember him, and then he the dead soldier passed away. It just it's a good book, and the author was really cool. I think he's a Cleveland uh, base uh, resident. I okay. believe it's been well, about I'll t- ten I'll years. I'll tell you what, it, it's called What I Carried. Yes. Okay, Brian, I'm glad you called and told me this, and I'm going to ask our, my assistant, Marcy, to look up uh, something about that book, and, and maybe we can find something to talk about and someone to talk with about it if they're local. But um, this is what I meant when I told t- uh, Todd Robinson, uh, you know, that I was so glad that he wrote this, this film, this screenplay, and then made this film, uh, because there are so many stories. I guess you could say this about any war, but I'm focusing on Vietnam because it is, I think, the fewest number of heroic tales that are told. There are tons of heroic, t- of heroic tales that happened, but the stories aren't told. And the one you just said might not be a tale of heroism, but it's a tale of personal um, discovery of, of loyalty to country and willingness to defend this country. What you just said, you know, this, this young man had to learn it from his father who forced it and then came out of it so glad that he did. It's just, there are stories like that that need to be told more often. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. Now, what I will say to, to respond to the part about comparing this to Frank Jackson, I, I, I don't want to do that. I go after the mayor for a lot of reasons. I don't think he's a good guy. 
I think he's personally uh, out to try to aid and assist some of the criminal elements of his own family, using the power of his office to do so. Far too often, whether it's spending city tax dollars on f- projects and things that are important to his grandkids, uh, or whether it's actually uh, providing them with cover, uh, when one of them is arrested or is going to be questioned for involvement in uh, in homicides or attempted homicides and other things that he's done. I'll go after Frank Jackson for a lot of reasons, but I, I'll stop short of saying he needs to take his grandsons uh, to go see these movies about protecting America. I'd be happy if he just didn't in, in, enable uh, their criminal behavior. I'm not going to tell anybody else how to raise their kids. Uh, if somebody wants to serve, especially now that we are in a, it's a very different time. We are an all-volunteer military. We are not in the, you know, uh, the age of conscription. Uh, there is no draft. So this is all about what people choose to do. And if they choose to go and defend this country and put themselves on the line, they have, uh, of course, my salute and my, my support. And, uh, I know, uh, you know, I'm sure Frank Jackson and everybody else would feel the same way. I don't think he needs to commit his kids to the military. He just needs to stop covering up for their uh, criminal behavior. By the way, speaking of which, the assault and abduction trial of Frank Jackson's grandson, Frank Hugh Jackson, is underway now. It uh, it opened up yesterday, and um, there's 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 quite a mess there. To be quite honest with you, there is a mess, and uh, we're going to follow it very closely and see how the mayor of the city of Cleveland, who has covered for his grandsons to no end, handles this. All right, that's it. Uh, thanks again to my guests, Professor Kersey, Lloyd Marcus, and Todd Robinson. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Derek and Marcy and David and Josh, the crew. Great stuff as always. Uh, tomorrow, Doctor Everett Piper back with us for his regular Thursday visit and more. So make sure you're with us then. Stay here. Mike Gallagher is coming up next on AM 1420. Enjoy the answer. Be well. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.